And my research has, I think, always done, maybe it's done more than one thing, but one thing that it always has done is dependent upon black women's voices. And so while I use poetry to sometimes narrate my own pain or my own position or my own loves, I also have been very interested in the loves, pains, and positions of other black women. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Sight Black Women podcast. Today, we feature an interview that I did with Professor Donna Ayn Davis at the National Women's Studies Association meetings in Atlanta in 2018. Professor Donna Ayn Davis was recently named director of the Center of the Study for Women and Society at the Graduate Center, where she also serves on the faculty of the PhD program and the PhD program in critical psychology. Donna's work centers on how Black women live policy and live with the representation of such issues as welfare reform and reproduction. She also has broad personal and intellectual interests in activism and feminist ethnography. She is the co-author of Feminist Ethnography, Thinking Through Methodologies, Challenges, and Possibilities with Krista Craven, and has a new manuscript that will come out this year entitled Pregnancy, Prematurity, and Race in the Afterlife of Slavery. Davis has long been involved in community organizing as both a participant and a grant maker, and is currently the executive director of the ADCO Foundation in New York and the president of the board of Albin Pictures, which produces social justice documentaries, the most recent being Shavella and Dispatches from Cleveland. My conversation with Professor Davis was really quite fascinating. In it, she talks about her work with Black women, her work as a doula, her work around pregnancy, and particularly citation as a practice of life and a spiritual practice. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode because, to me, it allows us to think about citation in new ways. How can we think about citation not only as something that is an academic praxis, but also as a way of life? a way for us to engage with one another and with other Black women in the everyday. So today, we have the pleasure of talking to Professor Donnae Davis of the CUNY Graduate Center. Um, and Professor Davis is an anthropologist, a Black feminist, a warrior woman, and all kinds of wonderful things um, that, that I feel are very inspirational. And when I think about the project Sight Black Women, I often think about Professor Davis because your, your citational pro politics are citational politics that I, that I aspire to. Because anytime I see you talk or present, you're always engaging in Black women's work in a very serious and reflexive way. And so typically on this podcast, I, do, I introduce the guest. But today, here at the National Women's Studies Association in Atlanta, Georgia, I would like for you to introduce yourself. Because in many ways, Dr. Davis, you're a, you're a storyteller. And I think that part of what helps people to understand who you are politically is how you describe and situate yourself. So please introduce yourself. <laughs> Why, thank you, Kristen. So yes, my name is Donna Aine Davis, 
And I am an anthropologist, and I am a black feminist, and I am a doula, and I am a grandmother, and a mother, and a sister, and a daughter, and a poet, and a person who understands that my journey right now is about opening spaces and clearing paths for people who are close by, not behind, <laughs> but who are close by. And I think that's that really is who I am. And sometimes people recognize me in other ways and I'm constantly shocked. Really? Yeah, I just, yeah, I just can't sometimes believe that, you know, like people want to meet with me. I'm just like, wow, really? You're inspirational. I feel like I am, I feel like I am inspired by other people. I get my energy from other people. So it's, I'm not saying that I'm not, but I definitely feel more that I get inspired by other people. So wow. I'm just... Uh, well, you're an inspiration to me. I'll say that. And I think that part of the reason why, why you're an inspiration and exactly why I asked you to introduce yourself is because your black feminism is very poetic. And it is woven into the poetry that is your life. You are someone who has tied in praxis, theory, and care into your everyday approach to the world, from your intellectual work, to your mentoring, to your family life, to the activism that you do. And so I wanted to see if you could tell us a little bit about the work that you do, because as you know, part of our part of our project here at Site Black Women is to introduce folk to the work that black women are doing. And I think your work is extremely important. And so can you tell us a little bit about your your scholarship and your research or your activism? or you're being a doula, <laughs> all of those wonderful things in your Black Feminist mission? Um, sure, and thank you. <laughs> um, I uh, have written about being a Black person since I think I was um, maybe 10 or 11 after I read an article about Nikki Giovanni in Ebony Magazine, and I start, I wrote my first poem called I Pronounce My S's because there were girls who were making fun of me because I pronounced all my S's. At any rate, um, and I started writing poetry and always thinking about what it meant to be a black or brown person in the world. Um, and my research has I think always done, maybe it's done more than one thing, but one thing that it always has done is dependent upon black women's voices. And so while I use poetry to sometimes narrate my own pain or my own position or my own loves, I also have been very interested in the loves, pains, and positions of other black women. And um, when I uh, went to get my PhD, my very first project actually was going to be talking to black lesbians who were, who were participants in the Yoruba tradition. 
And I wanted to um, sort of narrate that landscape, that beautiful space, mm -hmm. trying to understand how we had created community um, in New York City. And it shifted from that. Uh, and my scholarship has not veered so far away from that because I still narrate black, you know, interested in narrating black women's lives through the collection of oral history. But what my research has done um, since I got my PhD was looked at how black women live policy, how they understand um, the, the world in which they are thrust into, the world that controls them, and the world that they try to make for themselves. So my first book was on battered black women, uh, and that was a book that um, tortured me in some ways, uh, and which is why it took me almost a decade to write, to, to do solo work, to write a single author book. In between, I did three edited volumes. Um, and the second book is about, um, it's about black women whose children have been born prematurely, or mostly, most of them had children that were born prematurely. In two cases, the child had a congenital illness, and how they ended up in a neonatal intensive care unit. Um, and I, when I'm when I'm researching, and when I'm writing, I'm also reading, and the things that I read are so often far away from the thing that I'm working on but not very far away. So I get very inspired by rereading Zami. I get very inspired by reading Arundhati Roy. I get very inspired by rereading June Jordan. I get very inspired by reading this little book by um, Jamaica Kincaid about gardening, um, which is really a piece about colonialism. What's the name of the book? I can't, I can't remember. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I go to a lot of performances and I go to a lot of um, exhibits. Uh, in the middle of writing the current book, I went to see, um, I went to see Carrie, F F well, Marshall. <laughs> Carrie Marshall? Is that his name? I, well, maybe I've, even, I've gotten his name wrong because I can't remember anything. Anyway, I went to an exhibit. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I went to see Carol Walker. Uh, okay. Bianca and I, Bianca Williams and I went to see a Carol Walker exhibit while I was writing about black women and reproduction. And there was just something about the both the movement and the the staticness of her imagery that made me think about, you know, black women's bodies and various forms of oppression, but also trying to find ways to get out of it. And I think Carol Walker's work doesn't always help you get out of a scenario, but because of the way that she draws the images, the silhouettes, which are very curvaceous, there are ways in which you just don't have a straight path out. You got to work your way around to get out. So... These are the things that influence me. And although I don't cite Kara Walker in my book, mm -hmm. I've, once, I've often said that we have lots of ghosts that, um, and I don't mean that in a negative way at all, but we have lots of ghosts that circulate in our intellectual genealogies. And she's a kind of ghost that, you know, sits to the left of my 
on the left side of my shoulder. Um, but I take really seriously using lots of different people's work, women of color's work, black women's work, to help me understand and analyze all of many of the phenomena that, um, that we as anthropologists who are black feminists write about. Mm. Um, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful image, this notion of the ghosts, the intellectual ghosts that sit on our left shoulder. Because I think that that is something that we don't necessarily talk about in the academy writ large, mm. um, but is very much to me a black feminist methodology which is sitting with the ancestrality or the genealogy of black women's work mm -hmm. when we're producing our own work. There's a way that there are mothers and sisters and aunties and grandmothers, intellectual kin that are constantly circulating around us and influencing us even if they don't necessarily show up directly in our bibliographies. And I want you to say a little bit more about that because I think that that's something that we need to think about. I know that on Thursday, when we had the site Black Women at Critical Praxis panel, Ashanti Reese from Spellman talked about citation as healing practice. And when you say something about ghosts and intellectual ghosts, I go back to Ashante's mm. interventions. And, I, and so I wanted to hear a little bit more about that. So here's an interesting example of how that gets lived in my, in my work and maybe in others. So in both instances of the books that I wrote that actually, I wouldn't say I wrote, but were written through me because there were points at which I was writing and very uncertain whose hand was actually moving or who was moving my hand. There are certain parts of people's stories that I don't tell. And in an earlier book review, I used this term ethnoporn, which I, I used to describe the pornographic way in which we use ethnography of a particular circumstance that ha is a sustained titillation that I find problematic. And when I sort of created the term ethnoporn, the voice in the back of my head that was, that, that was speaking to me was my grandmother's, who used to say, it's better to eat all you have than tell all you know. Mm. And of course, what she meant by that was you don't really have to say everything. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. And so the kind of the ghost of my grandmother, Angie Hall, has really guided my praxis around telling certain stories, sharing stories, but not always giving the the, the detail that I often think a white audience will take and use that against the women whose stories I'm sharing. Mm. So I always, I'm always measured 
in how I tell things. And, and I'm measured because I'm both trying to protect integrity and, um, and just think about how what a person may tell you at a moment when you're talking to them it does not always have to be fully repeated. Mm -hmm. And while people may talk to you in that sister-to-sister -sister talk mm -hmm. and be happy to be sharing with you, when it goes in print, it could feel like a different thing. Absolutely. And so that's what I mean by a ghost. There's a, I think there's another ghost that, that, um, that sits around me and it's not of somebody who's not living, actually. It's somebody who's quite alive. And that's Toni Morrison. Yes. And it's not all of her work that ghosts me. It's her book, Playing in the Dark, mm. which I have read every single time I have had to write about the issue of race. Because she has a clarity and a way of pulling together sentences and using particular words that help me understand how to explain the complexities of, of racism and this notion of absence. And so her work ghosts me. Yes. You know, and so I don't mind getting ghosted. It's so I'm all right with that. No, I think that, <laughs> you know, you know what I love about that? Um, part of what I love about this, and I always, every time I talk with you, because um, I've known you for a few years now, and every time I talk with you, I feel like I learn so much. But part of what I love about this particular perspective particularly as we talk about citational practices, is that what you're really talking about is writing for us and not writing for others. And I think oftentimes when we talk about citation and when people think about cite black women, they're thinking about, you know, the need to make the mainstream cite our work. But what about the ways that we begin to cite one another and how do we do that? And that is a much gentler process. It's a much more spiritual process. It's one of healing. It's one of community and communing. And I think that there's, there's something about that that really moves us beyond this kind of idea of making sure we have enough hits on Google citations and all that kind of stuff. Because what you're talking about right now is how do we engage with one another and hold each other in our in our hearts, in our memory, hold space for one another? Mm -hmm. And what does that then do for us as writers, as black women, as intellectual producers, and for us as scholars, right? I think that, you know, one of the things that people have been asking about um, are the ways that this particular movement speaks to folk outside of the academy. And as you were speaking about your grandmother, I was thinking about the fact that that kind of haunting in a positive way is the way that we carry around black women's citation in the everyday. I mean, when we're children and if our, you know, if we're fortunate enough to know our grandparents or our aunties and uncles uh, or our, and they are telling us the stories and the words and the pearls of wisdom from earlier generations or from, you know, sort of lateral kin, they're citing people. 
right? Exactly. So the citation, the politics of the reproduction of the citation comes not only from books, but comes from the stories and the wisdom that people share, right? Um, and it's not, it isn't always necessary to have a written bibliography, but we have bibliographies of our heart. I could tell you about my grandmother's life. I could tell you about the imagining, the imaginings of um, uh, my, my um, paternal grandmother, who really didn't talk very much about her family, but I do know like a couple of things. I could cite her. I could cite people's phrases. You know, you know, my favorite citation is my grandmother's, my grandmother used to say, well, Jesus, you know, that's, a, and when I say that. I feel like I can hear her when you say that. <laughs> you know, or, you know, sometimes she, if she was annoyed with you, she would just say, what's an ever? You know, I'm citing her and I'm not, and I do, I say that, I say mm -hmm. those things. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying Angie Hall. Mm -hmm. You know, 1973. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. she also said some stuff that was messed up. But you know, but my point is, is that yes, I think citing black women and a politics of citation is not always going to come in the form of this kind of written bibliography. But it's also who we are willing to remember, and also who we summon up when we're when we're doing our work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, we could be thinking about. A, a musician, you know, or, you know, an actress mm -hmm. or someone else whose particular performance or a particular look helps us get at something. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, knowledge was produced in the, I think, for example, in the face of Lorraine Hansberry. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And is there something more that I could say about something else, thinking about that there's a picture of Lorraine Hansberry smoking a cigarette. And, you know, how, how does that help me understand something? And it does. I, no, I, I think that's just really beautiful because there's also that question of embodied memory and the way that we produce knowledge in a look. We produce knowledge in the way we hold ourselves the way we hold our bodies, the way we hold our glances. Mm -hmm. And so there's a way that, and that gets passed down through generations, right? And that to me is also what you're saying in terms of citation, right? The way that we kind of embody and share a certain, a, a certain approach to the world yes. that is our own and that is about honoring one another. And I think that's so very, very beautiful. And I think that also takes me back to an aspect of your work that I think is so important. And that is really foregrounding the stories of black women in the everyday. Right? Um, and, and the stories of black women who are just working to survive. You know? And not necessarily people who are well-known or people who have resources, but folk who are creating a world out of their everyday actions, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that, to me, is also an important part of your approach. 
It is. I mean, I think I, it, I think it definitely is. But I also just want to say that in this most recent book that I have coming out, it's about profession, quote, professional black women, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a departure. But um, it's about professional black women who are narrating what racism felt like in their medical encounters. Um, and part of the reason that they got lifted up was impo- mostly because that's who came to me when I put out a call to find, to mm-hmm. talk to people. But also, in thinking about the adverse birth outcomes that black women have, the mascot for that, and I put that in quotes, is usually poor black women mm-hmm. or low-income black women. And their adverse birth outcomes are most often attributed to their negative behavior. And so in talking to black women who had education, who had some access to resources, I was really trying to um, shorten the length of the bridge between two groups of people Mm -hmm. to say that really what can happen to one black woman can happen to any black woman. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just, I know that we understand a lot um, by digging and delving deeply into the lives of poor people and marginalized people. But what I think is interesting is that at a particular, this particular political moment, it's really, it's not, it really, I don't think it really is about class at this moment. I think it's so much more about race. And um, to be able to bring together the kinds of experiences that um, people have across class, I think offers us quite a bit of promise about how we need to be ushering forward toward justice. And that we could do that not only across class, but across nation, across class, right? Mm -hmm. So that that wonderful issue that we're both in, talking about, you know, mothers' experiences of losing their children and the terror and the trauma of state violence can happen, right? Obviously to a woman in in New York or a woman in Ohio, and a woman in Brazil, in Bahia, right? And so I think, you know, stories of people of different class positions within the same, within a similar kind of other category are really important and fundamental towards us understanding that this is really about humanity, mm-hmm. right? This is absolutely. really about humanity. And so I just... No, I, absolutely. And I want to make sure that we know the name of your book that's oh, coming out um, so that everybody can go out and purchase it when it does come out. So can you give us the title? Because it, it is coming out. When is it going to come out again? Um, it'll be out in 2019, I think May or June. Okay. And it's called Reproductive Injustice, Racism, Pregnancy, and Premature Birth. Perfect. And that's with NYU Press. With NYU Press. Congratulations again. Yeah. 
I think it's important the kind of work that you're doing to really demystify this idea that somehow class undoes the 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 anti-blackness the gendered anti-blackness that we experience as black right. women and i think that that's you know it's it's so timely especially after the death of Aunt erica garner in january and the 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 stories that have come out obviously the the pro publica piece mm-hmm. that came out about weathering and black women and 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 birth outcomes and so there's a way that this book is going to be something that many many people are going to want to pick up and read because it resonates with so many of our stories um and and it again i think that it really to me underscores your methodology you write about black women's stories i do and I want to write another piece about Black women who've act, who've given birth because as a doula, I've been um, I've I've been through five, not a lot, but I have watched Black women navigate systems and make them respond to them. I really have. I mean, I just am in awe of how these how these women just say, "Look, I want this," and even if you can't give this exact thing to me, I'm gonna let you know that I know that I can have this. Even if you don't give it, like I could have this, I love that, though. <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, reclaiming our birth, reclaiming, reclaiming our birth, and reclaiming our bodies. Reclaiming most definitely, bodies. I think that's beautiful. I'm, I, I am looking forward to that book when it right. when it is birthed. Thank you. Um, I'm very much looking forward to it. Like I look forward to all of your work. Well, I want to make sure that um, we can wrap up on a note that you want to leave with the audience. And so if there's one thing that you would want to share with people outside of the academy and inside of the academy, black women who are engaging in kind of a, a, a process of discovering ourselves as as authors, not just as authors of books, but as authors of ideas, as folk who are actively producing intellectual contributions to the world, what would you share? Why do you have such hard questions, Kristen? (laughs) Hard question. Um, (laughs) There are two things that I would share. The first comes from um, a a famous, I think he's famous, uh, black anthropologist, whose name is Delmos Jones, who once said to us, my class, my cohort, pay attention to silence. In every silence, there's a story. That is so beautiful. And then I think the other thing is, you know, know your purpose and know that in many ways, your job as as a black woman and ostensibly a black man in the academy, which is a place of privilege, requires that you do create paths for other people. There's no need to be critical enough that it hurts. Mm. That does no justice. Mm. And I think this is coming out of having been part of a conversation recently at an elite university where people were asking, how can we, you know, create more inclusivity? I'm like, be nicer. 
Be nice when you... I love it. I, I said that. I said, be nicer when you review people. Mm-hmm. Be nicer when you read people's grants. Be nicer when you do a peer review. Just be nicer. Be nicer and open the door for somebody because it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But, more, but more importantly than it coming back, you've got to feel like you owe somebody coming behind you something. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that if you don't. So that's what I That is beautiful. And I want to thank you for joining us on the program. And thank you for just being you. Because you are a wonderful human being. And like I said at the beginning, you inspire all of us. So thank you so much. And thank you. Because you're a wonderful human being. And you inspire us. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sight Black Women. Follow us at Sight Black Women on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and our new website, www.sightblackwomencollective.org. And remember, it's simple. Sight Black Women. We theorize, we produce, we revolutionize the world. <laughs>